Do you ever notice in Genesis 1, after God created humanity, he said, it was very good. Yeah. Humans, very good. We're made uniquely in the image of God. We are very good to God. And then he bestows all these blessings upon us. Psalm 145, verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy over, over all that he has made. God is good to all people. That includes you. Wherever you're sitting out here this morning, you might want to, God is good to you. And the New Testament echoes this. Acts 14, 17 says, Yet he, God, did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Let me ask you, how often do you stop and appreciate how many things, good things, God gives to you? Just close your eyes for a second and think about some of these things that God gives to you. He gives you family, friends, food. Don't think too much about that right now. Possessions, sleep. Don't think too much about that one either. Health, safety, laughter, jobs, accomplishments, money, sports, art, hobbies, Travel, technology, animals, flowers, and seasons of the year, like now with the fall colors. That's a lot, isn't it? And God has no obligation to bless us, but he does because he is good. God could have just made a barren planet, couldn't he have? But instead, he gives us these remarkable scenes that we get to enjoy. God could have just made pure, bland food. But instead, he makes all kinds of taste and textures. We often focus, don't we, on the bad things. Which is understandable to some degree. But I believe personally that the good far outnumbers the bad if we would only look around and see it. If we would only pay attention, but far too often we overlook the pervasive goodness of God. Amazingly, God is even good to those who don't love him, who could care less about God. Jesus says in Matthew 5.45, for God makes his son rise, his son, and you notice that his son, it's not just the son, it's his son, rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God is good to them so much so that it can be difficult at times for believers to look at and say, why is he so good to people that have nothing to do with him? Psalm 73 is famous because it probes this issue. The psalm begins this way. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The writer admits his struggle over the prosperity of the wicked that ultimately comes from who? God. Later, he realized that Judgment Day puts all that stuff into a new perspective. But in the meantime, the goodness of God was so lavish on people that it made him wonder, God, why are you so good to people that do not even love you? 
But that's the goodness of God toward creation, isn't it? The goodness of God shines even brighter with salvation as he works to redeem people. God gives a scripture that you're holding in your hands, right? It's good, and it tells us about God and how we're to live. Romans seven twelve says, So the law is holy, the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. And God gives us spiritual blessings that are almost too many to number. Psalm 31, 19 says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. Psalm 84, 11 says, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Relation to prayer, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 11, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus says, look, you're evil. <laughs> Don't you love that one? You're evil, and you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your father give good gifts to you when you ask him? And isn't it wonderful and reassuring to know that the goodness of God never runs out, it never expires, but will actually follow you to the end of time and forevermore. We all like Psalm 23, but the end of it is wonderful. We forget about that last verse. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that wonderful? Think about You're just kind of walking along. Oh, what do you know? There's goodness and mercy following me. Keep going down the road. Oh, they're still there. Why is it that they follow you like a homing device? It's because of God. And his goodness, the goodness of salvation. And of course, the goodness of God was on greatest display with the ministry of Jesus, wasn't it? As I said earlier, the attributes, these other attributes like his, his grace and his mercy, those things are really just outworkings of his goodness. So grace, what do we say grace is? God's unmerited favor or his goodness, right? It's goodness that we don't deserve. And Jesus did this for us. What we deserve, remember he just said we're evil. He said we deserve judgment. That's what we deserve. But Jesus came to earth, fully God, becoming fully man, lived a sinless life on the cross, and died on the cross to take our place, our sin debt that we owed, and then he rose from the dead to show that, look, death doesn't have the final say. I'm victorious over that. And who I said I was, I really am. No one else rises from the dead. Believe in who I am, right? Titus 3, 4 to 5 says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Did you get that? It's not by your good works. It's by the goodness and kindness of Christ, but according to his own mercy. So salvation doesn't come by our good works, but by the goodness of God as he makes a way of salvation for all of our sins to be forgiven. By the way, this is an important point. Did you know that God showers us with goodness that we talked about earlier so that it will lead you to salvation? Romans 2.4 says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Repentance, friends, is a change of mind. It means that you do a spiritual 180. You start seeing things differently differently. 
you go from wanting to live selfishly and on your throne doing things your way to saying, God, no, I want you on the throne of my heart. I want you to be the source and guide of my life, and I want to live to honor and obey you. That's repentance, right? But what he's saying out here is the idea is that we would see how much God has given to us, whether it's natural blessings or spiritual blessings. When we see that, we realize that God is the source of all good, and we realize that we're not entitled to these things, are we? We're not entitled to them. They're gifts. They're gifts. And we also realize that we have trampled on his goodness, haven't we, many times, by instead of being thankful for these things, we sit around and grumble about the things that we do not have. Just like was mentioned in the testimony about the Israelites. Grumble, grumble, grumble. We grumble all the time, don't we? And if that were not enough, we take those good gifts like money and pleasure and so forth, and then we fashion them to our own little idols that become our ultimate, our God substitutes. All the while, God just sort of heaps goodness on us to the point that it almost breaks us, and we finally look upward and say, the goodness of God, oh, now I have repentance. Now I see that you are good. Now I want to follow you. That's what the goodness of God is meant to do. Has that reality ever hit you in your heart? That the goodness of God should stir you to repent, to change your mind and how you view God and how you want to honor and live for him and to believe that Jesus Christ is the greatest display of goodness that we've ever seen and that you believe him as your Lord and Savior? I pray that it would today. I pray that it would today. Changing gears, though, as we talk about the goodness of God, we have to acknowledge that his goodness is brought under scrutiny by the existence of evil. Even if you and I maybe don't go through great tragedy, the ongoing existence of evil, it can erode our confidence in the goodness of God. Again, maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you wonder if God is truly good as you think about the world that we live in or the things that you go through in your life. God wants you to be in the place, though, where you can say that he is good all the time. But to get there, we might need to address these questions that people have about the problem of evil. What shall we say to it? Well, if you recall from our series on the book of Job, there's not one single reason why God allows evil, but a handful of different reasons. I'm not going to go through all of them for the sake of time, but let me give a couple that I think are helpful for us as we think about these things. First, the existence of evil presupposes the existence of a good God. What do I mean by that? In order for us to call something evil, right, it means that there is an ultimate standard of good, and God is that standard, isn't he? He is morally excellent. There is no evil in him. He does no evil. 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness of, at all. So if there's no standard of good, you, you, you follow what I'm saying here? If there's no standard of good, then you can't call anything evil. It's just a matter of preference. Some people prefer genocide child abuse, sex trafficking. Are those things wrong? 
Well, without God, you can't say they're objectively wrong, can you? You can say that you don't like them, but you can't say they're objectively wrong. But we know that this doesn't line up with our basic human intuition, does it? We know inside of us this is wrong and things have gone off the tracks. It's inconceivable that child abuse is the same thing as helping the poor. It's inconceivable that there's no difference between hospitals and concentration camps, right? But if you have no standard of good, you can't say that, can you? Evil exists, friends, but in order to call evil evil, you must presuppose the existence of a good God. That truth haunted C.S. Lewis back when he was an atheist. He writes in his book, Mere Christianity, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? So evil doesn't eliminate God, but it actually depends upon the existence of God. And by the way, God does not depend upon the existence of evil. He existed before it ever did, and he was doing just fine without it. So second, God allows evil for a greater good. God doesn't cause evil directly, but he uses it to bring about a greater good. Do you understand that? He takes it and makes it a greater good. He uses it to accomplish his plans. In Genesis, the story of Joseph is a powerful illustration. Remember the story of Joseph? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers because they hated him. And then he was taken down into Egypt where he worked for this powerful man named Potiphar, but he was falsely accused. And then he was put into prison where he languished until one day it was found out that he could interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh had this awful dream, and so they brought Joseph in front of him, and he interpreted his dream and told them, look, you're going to have seven years of abundance, and then you're going to have seven years of famine. Potiphar said, hey, you want a job? I'll make you my right-hand man. And so he did, and he saved Egypt, and he saved the nations that were around because they all came to Egypt to survive the famine. And who else was able to survive as a result of all of this? His brothers and his father, Jacob. And we know ultimately the family line of Israel came through that, and ultimately the Messiah came through that. All because of the choices Joseph's brothers made, which again is a proof that God is good, that he allows choices. But he allows these things, and he uses even bad choices, evil choices, to bring about his greater good. In Genesis 50, 20, Jason excuse me, Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for, my, for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So God uses evil to accomplish his plans. We have no idea how God uses these things, do we? We got a little glimpse here, didn't we, in, in Genesis? Because we have this inspired revelation concept on it or insight we don't get to see it on all the things that go on around us, but God hasn't changed, has he? He is using these things to accomplish his plans. 
And for believers, you can be assured that there is no such thing as a haphazard evil. God is always using evil in your life for a greater good, namely that you would become more like Christ. He uses these things to discipline us. Hebrews 12.10 says, God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And we can know that in all circumstances, God is using the good and the bad to mold us and shape us and to become more like Christ, which is the greatest good of all, isn't it? Familiar verses, Romans 8, 28 to 29, say, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God is orchestrating all these circumstances like a chisel, using them, just knocking away and conforming you into the image of Christ. He's not caught off guard. He doesn't throw his hands up in the air. He is using all of those things for the greatest possible good, which is making you and I more and more like Christ. Now notice, I didn't say he's doing all these things so you can have the happiest possible life in this world. People think that, and they have these expectations, and they're continually frustrated. All about your expectations, friends. But if you trust that he is using these things to make you more like Christ, it will change your perspective, won't it? Let me encourage you today to resolve in your heart that God is indeed good all the time. I know that's not easy. In my life, sometimes I struggle with that. Not on an intellectual basis, because I can see, man, the intellectual case is there. It is a Loctite case. But don't we all have those moments where practically we have disappointments and frustrations, and we say, God, how are you good in the midst of all of this? Right? Let me urge you to resolve in your heart that that is indeed the case. Because I know deep down in my heart, despite the fluctuations and things that might happen, that God is good all the time. He is good all the time. He is good all the time. And by God's grace, I want to trust his goodness no matter what comes my way. Let me share a powerful story about trusting the goodness of God. Alan Gardner was a 19th century British pioneer missionary. I never heard of this guy before this past week. That's why it's great to always be learning about people who've walked these steps before us and what we can learn from them. But he served in Africa and South America and faced immense hardships. He endured opposition from government leaders who didn't want missionaries in their lands. He endured opposition from some Native Americans who were hostile to outsiders. He endured opposition from Roman Catholic leaders who didn't want an Anglican missionary in their area. He experienced physical challenges, as you can only imagine, uh, serving in these areas. I think I read he, he traveled 1,000 miles across South America on a pack mule. Can you imagine? <laughs> I can only imagine what he went through. So he was faithful 
And God used them, though, in these pioneer areas. As an interesting aside, just to throw something out at you, beginning in 1842, Gardner worked among the Native Americans in the lower part of South America. It's called the Patagonians areas, where Argentina and Chile are today. So Charles Darwin encountered the Patagonians during his scientific voyages and thought they were hopeless subhumans. He wrote, quote, I could not have believed how wide was the difference between savage and civilized man. It is greater than between a wild and domesticated animal. Later, he added, viewing such men, one could hardly make oneself believe that they are fellow creatures and inhabitants of the same world. Later, Darwin uh, had a change of mind because he saw the impact of the gospel with the Patagonians. And you know what he did? He started attending the annual meetings of the South American Missionary Society and donated to the work there. Anyway, just a little fascinating aside. Going back to Gardner, in 1851, he sailed to the Patagonian region with six others. Upon landing, they encountered harsh weather and native opposition and they made a series of logistical errors. After the course of months, Gardner and his crew died of apparent disease and starvation before help arrived. Gardner was the last one to survive. And I cannot imagine how difficult that must have been for him to watch the other crew members pass away and then to die of starvation, which is a horrible ordeal. But if you read his journal, he displays a remarkable trust in God. For example, toward the end, he wrote, quote, My care is all cast upon God, and I am only waiting his time and his good pleasure dispose of me as he shall see fit. Whether I live or die, may it be in him, I commend my body and soul into his care and keeping. His final journal entry was difficult to read because apparently he was so weak that it was hard for him to write legibly. But his words were these, quote, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Yes, friend, the goodness of God can be known and experienced in the worst of situations. That's about as bad as it possibly could get. It is true that God is good all the time. So as we close, how do we respond to the goodness of God here this morning? First, we should thank God. Psalm 106, verse 1, commands us commands us to do so. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Four other places in Scripture, it repeats this command to thank God because he is good. I think it should should be a regular, if not daily part of our prayer lives to thank God for his goodness, for the natural blessings that he gives us, for the spiritual blessings. I think we should spend more time in our prayers, not just rattling off the things that we want to see happen, which are not wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to make the request, but to spend more time with an attitude of gratitude, thanking him for his gifts, and most of all, thanking him for the giver, 
himself. I want us to be not casual about the goodness of God, but to take it seriously when we pray, amen? And this is a challenge for you. Let me urge you to repent of, of really any lingering unbelief or ingratitude or inaccurate views of God that he's harsh or cruel or indifferent. And, and those seeds of bitterness that might have been kind of growing in your heart that today you would say, I know that's wrong, God. I want to uproot that stuff out of my heart and give it over to you and go back to that basic understanding that God is good. Forgive me for that. And second, we should imitate the goodness of God. Jesus said only God is good. Only God is good in that absolute sense. We will never be absolutely good. But you know, we can grow in goodness, can't we? Isn't that good to know? You can grow in goodness. Second, or third John 11 says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Our lives should be characterized by a growing level of moral excellence, of character, of praiseworthy actions and lifestyle that we live. Galatians 5.22 says that's one of the virtues that we are to display as the fruit of the Spirit, right? Goodness. And like God, we're to display it by the works that we do. Titus 3.14 says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. And the Bible says, just like God is, is good to everyone, so we should be good to everybody. Galatians 6, 9 to 10 says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen? Friends, the church needs to be the lighthouse of good. As we do outreaches like Acts 4, as we live in our daily personal lives, God is a good God, and he wants his church to be the reflection to this dark world of a good God and of people who have known that good God. Are you on board? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, this morning, we have heard in song and in word about your goodness. And Lord, we want to pause just for a moment and think about the goodness you have bestowed on us. The many natural blessings you give. spiritual blessings you give, things that are small, things that are great. Lord, we thank you for what Christ did on the cross, purchasing salvation. Thankful for the church where we get to gather with a community that loves us and supports us and teaches us and encourages us. God, we're thankful. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us for focusing too much on what we do not have. Lord, help us to be more grateful of, of the abundance you have given us. And Lord, as we spoke of earlier, your kindness leads us to salvation.
And Lord, I pray for someone here today that they would see that, that they would see that you are indeed a good God. They would come humbly to you and receive the best, the goodest gift of all, the gift of salvation. Lord, you are indeed a good shepherd, and we thank you. Lord, may it be etched in our hearts that you are good, and may we take that challenge that is given in Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, this morning we have tasted and we have seen you are good. And Lord, we want to live each day in that light. Help us to be the salt and light, people who are good in our character and in our action. But we need your grace and your power to do so. We ask all of this in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. All God's people said, Amen.